I'm kind of excited for the alien apocalypse. I mean, living underground, it's not so bad. <laughs> Welcome to episode 36 of the Humus Agenda podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry. And I'm Rory. And we're back after a hiatus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know I don't even know what you guys look like anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of been a busy second half of the year. Uh, I think we're, at least for me, I've been like just insanely swamped. And I, I'm taking a lot of time off right now during the Christmas break to decompress and not do any work at all. Good for you. I know you work a lot and you're always busy. Yeah, so I I have turned off everything and I am not expected to open any work until January. So oh, I'm wow. so happy. Well, how about that? <laughs> yeah, I became so busy with teaching. It just like the workload this year is so overwhelming. But then I was just overwhelmed with everything happening in the world. And I was like, I can't, I can't face recording a podcast and like being cheerful or whatever. I'm actually a little bit uh, crushed. I, I get all these emails from the department wishing us well and saying, hey, I hope everybody's having a safe and refreshing holiday. Meanwhile, I still have my part-time grocery work, so I never stop working. And it, it almost makes me a little jaded when I read these messages about, hey, mm. everybody recharging? I'm like, nope, not at all. <laughs> How is the grocery store going? Because now we're into another lockdown. Are you, are people okay? Everybody seems to be doing all right. I, I haven't heard any bad news on that front. Uh, we've started uh, limiting the number of people who are allowed in the store at once again. So we're, we've got people lining up outside the front doors and we got a, so far just a, a worker, you know, whoever draws the short straw for the day with the clipboard, keeping track of how many people are, are going in and out. Mm-hmm. And Rory's still walking through with his badge. I'm essential out of the way. <laughs> I, I, I thought about it, but actually on my, my day off, which was Tuesday, I was, I was going to bring the, the badge and walk on all huffed and, you know, whatnot. But uh, no, I got in line like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew I know what I should have gotten you for Christmas was an actual badge. <laughs> an actual badge? Yeah, <laughs> like a metal engraved badge. Yeah, my name is Rory. I'm essential. <laughs> I mean, you can relaminate my uh, my existing badge. It's kind of falling apart at the moment. Oh, you know I have a laminator, right? <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> of course you do. As a teacher, of course you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what yes, do you laminate? Uh, I laminate stuff for work. Um. I don't think I've laminated anything really personal ever, no, okay. but just like, I don't know. But uh, I'm wondering, like, what do you, again. like, what, what do you do? Like, just uh, like stuff that you would use over and over again with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if I have them walk around to different stations or whatever, and I have an activity I always have at the same station, then I would laminate something like that. Yeah. Makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. The grubby hands will always destroy things if it's not laminated. Yes. <laughs> yes, they will. And they'll drop it on the floor and step on it. And, like, they're just not careful. Even teenagers, grubby little hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gotta yeah, use that so, laminator. So today we're going to be talking, we're doing our year-end review. You know, we've done this in the past where we kind of reviewed the year. Um, I'm going to give this year one out of ten. Uh, <laughs> That's it. You're more gracious than me. <laughs> That's it. We're done. <laughs> one out of ten. Where'd the one come from, Kenny? I don't know. Uh, I don't this know. This year. This, this year's just, yeah. Sucked. Not that great. Yeah. Sucked. I, like, I, I hesitate to say this, but, like, I think it might have been the worst year of my entire life. <laughs> yeah. I think... That's probably true. I mean, this is this has not been a great year. And I was uh, talking to a friend yesterday, and we were both at the same New Year's Eve party last year, and we were just reminiscing on how optimistic and hopeful we were <laughs> <laughs> last year, not knowing that the world was about to change. I wonder what we sounded like last year this time. 
I should go back and listen to that episode I and see. Like, I, I mean, I thought I, I thought we were still in the darkest timeline, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. That, we yeah. we were still complaining about um, the Orange Man. So yes. Hey, maybe that's where the one star comes from. We won't be seeing his face for very much longer. Hmm. We we moved out of darkest timeline. We moved out, but he's sticking around. He's still gonna be. Mm. Vocal. Oh, I'm sure he won't be silenced, but he won't have as much executive power anymore, which is a good thing. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And if anyone in Georgia is listening, you should vote <laughs> soon in January. <laughs> <laughs> like now or yesterday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At least things have turned around a little bit. I think that's good. Like, I think that we ended strong-ish. Mm-hmm. Better. I, we ended I better. Think, <laughs> I think there's hope now. There's hope. And mm. hope is important. So, Mm -hmm. but I think, Sherry, you want to run through just a few of the events that have occurred this year? Yeah. Well, you know what I was thinking? Because, um, and I've been telling, you know, people this for a little while, that I feel like when I look back at my year, it went really fast. Like, I I feel like time went really fast because I can't remember any specific things that happened during the year that I would normally remember um, to think, oh, yeah, I did this and this and this. It was just a bunch of sitting at home, eating donuts, um, crying on a Zoom. So, <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, this year, it felt like has gone really fast, but in the moment, it felt like March and April just never would end. It felt like 10 years. So it's it's a it's a very bizarre year in that I've forgotten everything that has happened this year. So would you like to know what happened this year? <laughs> Refresh our memories. Okay. We started with um, the Australian wildfires. Do you remember that? Yep. I remember that. Those I remember that was like a big story. It was like the end of the world. Oh my yeah. God, global warming. Yes. Yes. We started off with global warming. We also started off with the U.S. almost starting World War Three. Do you remember we were talking about that? I do remember we were talking about that on our episode of the year-end review or something, you know, whatever, yeah. 2020, beginning of the year. Yeah, How there was quaint. a... That we thought <laughs> <laughs> that was that was just the biggest issue ever. Yeah, yeah. There were those uh, Iran launching missile strikes at an Iraqi base that there were U.S. military personnel in. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, all, we thought- uh, that was in response to the uh, assassination. Yes, and there was an assassination of a general, an Iraqi general. Yes. Yeah, so we thought, oh, no, that's not good. Trump's starting off the year by almost getting in a war. Um, and then a couple days later, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced they're stepping back from their royal positions. Ah, uh, yes. That was a big one. Yeah, how do you feel about that, Rory? <laughs> to re- retreat to Canada, if I recall. Yes. And uh, what was the... They received some kind of subsidy. I, I can't quite recall what it was, though. I don't know, but they got money so that they could stay here with, I don't know, bodyguards and stuff. Yeah. But then they went to the U.S. I thought, like, Tim Hortons gave them free donuts forever or something ridiculous. Like, Oh, okay. <laughs> there was some kind no. of silly twist, but, I thought. I thought I it was related to security. That. I thought it was related to security, right? Yeah, I thought it was security related. Yeah. That's not silly and fun, though. That's just our money going to ensure their security. Yeah. Let's pretend it was donuts. (laughs) Let's pretend it was donuts. (laughs) Yes. Um, Donald Trump was impeached at the beginning of the year. The um, articles of impeachment were sent from the House to the Senate, which is where it died. (laughs) Where uh, democracy died. Not surprising. Democracy often dies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brexit was official. That's still January. So lots was happening at the beginning of the year. Um, Kansas won the Super Bowl, which I care 0% about. <laughs> but apparently they have never won or they didn't win in a long time or something. And then there's the Patriot quarterback guy is like a horrible bigot. So I'm glad he didn't <laughs> win. So, yeah. Well, good That's, then. Yeah. <laughs> so that happened. Um, let's see. Oh, Parasite won the Best Picture in the Academy Awards, I as well as many Parasite other awards. I watched Parasite again the other day, and it oh yeah, it is still good. Still enjoyed every minute of it. Still wonderful. Yeah, I watched it. I watched it recently, and it's really good. I, I was actually surprised by how much 
I really liked it. I've only watched it once. I should watch it a second time. I really liked that movie. It was good. The Wet'suwet'en protests blocked the railways um, when they were protesting the natural gas pipeline. And then COVID stuff happened. So Italy went into lockdown. We declared a pandemic. That bas- Do you remember that basketball star who um, was tested positive after like touching all the microphones? Um, and downplaying coronavirus. No, I thought you told me about this. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I don't know his name because I don't, not sportsy, but um, yeah, he like had an, an interview and was downplaying like coronavirus and then touched all the microphones. And then got coronavirus. Yeah. And, and at the end of the interviews was like, oh, I touched all of your microphones and you're all going to be fine. And then like, I think later on that day, he was test, he uh, said that he was tested positive. <laughs> like he found out later, he wasn't, he didn't know during the time, but he, yeah, he had an immediate karma. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, some bad things happened. Uh, the Nova Scotia massacre by the man who was impersonating a police officer. That one happened um, in April. George Floyd was killed. Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor. Um, now that one was definitely big news, right? Yeah, and then we had all those protests for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think was was that our last podcast? No. We did something more light. We did talk about it as our last one. It doesn't matter. About statues, tearing down statues. Yeah. 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 We yeah, talked, we talked about... about statues, and then we uh, before that we talked about uh, defund the police. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on putting bird feed on all the statues. <laughs> Make them out of bird feed. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh yeah, and protesters were pepper sprayed so that Trump could have a photo shoot in front of a church holding a Bible upside down. Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> Clear away. Get him out of there. <laughs> see, we're going down memory lane with this. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you remember the England demonstrators who pulled down the statue and threw it in the river? That was one of my favorite memories. Oh, the Beirut port explosion um, where they were storing those chemicals and stuff. And then the port exploded. Yeah. That was very sad. And A lot Lebanon. of people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That it Beirut's in Lebanon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. Oh, yeah. And then we had the presidential election. And I feel like that brings us to now. That election was like the most stressful time. Oh of my, my god! Life. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've never been more stressed out over an election than I had so nothing I, to do I, with I, me. <laughs> I was the nerd with my Excel spreadsheet tallying all the numbers from the states as it was coming in. <laughs> Uh, this was this was the, the, the day after the election. I was just worried, so I was like tracking all the trends of, mm. of the data coming in to give me some assurance that is everything trending <laughs> in the right direction or not. And by the next day, I was a little more confident that things were going in the right direction because all the numbers yeah. were moving towards Biden. Yeah, the day after the election was like this horrible black hole of oh my god anxiety and then the day after that I was like oh okay it's fine we're gonna win this because I think like um Fox News declared Arizona or something like that they ahead of everyone else maybe accidentally and then I was like oh okay things are going better this is trending up like this is fine when uh when did Florida jump onto the Trump train because I remember that was a worrying moment because Florida usually that was uh at the election night yeah that was so so that yeah that was when it was like (gasps) oh no (laughs) right there after that it was kind of tapered off and got better yeah um and then uh the aliens touched down and destroyed um our civilization. So that brings us up to present day. <laughs> Living in bunkers underground. <laughs> I'm doing some predicting. <laughs> we are now the whole people. We have how many more days? <laughs> Three more days before. <laughs> I really don't want to jinx it. <laughs> I'm worried something really bad is going to happen in the next like four days. <laughs> I feel like maybe our, we should do another episode on what are all the possible extinction events that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we're so positive. <laughs>
Do you guys have like a favorite memory from this year or like, do you have like one memory that stands out to you from this year? It doesn't have to be a good memory, but like just a memory. I mean, if I only tell yeah. half the story, then I was actually like temporarily filled with, you know, pride for my, for my employer when they instituted pandemic pay. It felt like the right move mm. and the, the proper measure. And I'll just stop the story there because it goes down to negative town if I continue talking about it. <laughs> yeah, then they took it away after a very short amount of time. Where they were actually paying you a... Almost uh, a living, living wage. wage. It was Almost so a living exciting. wage. It was close. It was so close to living wage. That was so great. And the thing is, they should probably still continue to pay that because... They are probably the only business that's doing really well this year, right? I know. Yeah, because no one, no, no one else is <laughs> uh, able to kind of open because they're not ex- essential. So, I mean, I I'm hinting a little bit of what I'm going to talk about later, but there are still certain billionaires who are finding ways to profit massively during this time period. But in terms of actual companies that are are doing well and recording record profits yeah grocery and essential food stuff like that for sure pharmacies and all that the one news that kind of stuck out to me um uh, this wouldn't be the humanist agenda podcast without occasionally mentioning spacex but um, <laughs> I had that on my list and I just didn't mention it I don't know too much about I it watched I watched the Falcon know. 9 land the other day it wasn't yeah. live, but I watched a recording of it. It's so cool. Yeah, so they had multiple landings as usual, but uh, the two big news was uh, they return human beings to... Uh, the U.S. has now returned astronauts back to space, back to the space station, which is great. Um, and they also test-launched their Mars rocket as well, a high-altitude test. Um, it did not land successfully. It did crash, but it was able to at least take off. Uh, so we are on our way to Mars in the next <laughs> few years. Um, and I think the other interesting news, at least for Canada, is um, we're sending a Canadian astronaut to the moon. Um, so I don't know if you guys saw that news. I uh, did, yeah. Report. So um, Canada has committed with uh, the U.S. to send a Canadian astronaut. Uh, not to land on the moon, but at least to get to the, uh, get in orbit around the moon. Do you know what they're going to do? Like what their purpose is? Uh, so the, ultimately, the uh, it's called the Artemis program, and it's meant to actually set up a new space station uh, close to the moon. Uh, it, they call it a, a lunar gateway. Um, so they'll have a, a basically a new space station that's closer to the moon that they can continue to do research. And in the, they're hoping they would use that as a jump-off point to go to Mars, for example, in the future. Okay, that makes sense. Those were at least some of the things that stood out to me as good news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had good and bad news this year. And I feel like we've grown as human beings, maybe. Maybe we've evolved a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I think that, you know, Black Lives Matter is still very much a part of the social consciousness. So I think that's good. Yeah, to the best of my knowledge. And people know to wash their hands now. (laughs) Yeah, people are washing their hands. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Kids also know to wash their hands. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're doing okay. We're kind of turning a corner I'm hopeful for 2021. I know things aren't going to change overnight that we're not going to wake up on New Year's morning and be like, oh, no more masks. Oh, but we're on our way. We're on our way. There's light at the end of the tunnel. At least for me, I feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel now. I do feel like that as well. Yeah. And I think there are things to be proud of this year. Like, Like we created a vaccine and tested it within like less than a year and now it's out in out in the population for people like that's huge they didn't have that in the spanish flu right so like you know that's definitely going to help us i can't confirm it but i feel like it's probably the shortest amount of time from beginning research to releasing a vaccine that has ever happened it, mm-hmm. it is. Uh, the, so I, I guess I can jump into my talk, which I want to at least talk a little bit about mRNA technology as a whole. But 
this vaccine, the shortest vaccine uh, that was developed previously was the measles vaccine, uh, and it was four years. Uh, but I think what's interesting that people uh, maybe don't realize, the reason why it takes so long to create these vaccines is because of funding. <laughs> it's it's the process of applying fu- for funding, uh, and then um, they do like the three phases. Uh, basically do, you know, first get funding for phase one, do phase one, then get funding for phase two, then do phase two. But when you have unlimited amount of money, <laughs> suddenly <laughs> you could do everything very, very quickly. So, um, yeah, normally it takes like five to 10 years or something that, like that for them to develop yeah. a vaccine. And yeah. yeah, they were able to do it with like copious amounts of money in less than a year. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember seeing a comedian uh, kind of uh, make a joke about, you know, the question shouldn't be, why does the vaccine, uh, how can we develop vaccines so quickly? But the question is, why did, does it take so long for other vaccines to be made? <laughs> it's because, you know, uh, if it doesn't hurt the economy, no one really wants to do anything. <laughs> yeah. I know. Money makes the world go round. It does. I was just going to say, didn't they also run trial phases simultaneously? I'm not sure yeah. what that means because yeah. I, I don't have a detailed rundown on what each phase entails. But Yeah, the, the first phase is really about safety, meaning uh, will it cause harm? So they inject the vaccine to people and they kind of just wait and see. Is anything happening? Yes, no. If nothing happens, they are, okay, well, phase two is uh, you do a, a bigger group of people to check for safety and then also check for whether they get an immune response. And if that works out, they say, okay, that's great. And then the third phase is the most important one is where you have thousands of people. You split half of them placebo, the other half with the vaccine. And then you kind of see what happens. (laughs) You kind of inject a vaccine, you throw them out into the world (laughs) and say, (laughs) live, you know, be um, free. Yeah, live free, um, and then and then you kind of see who gets infected and who doesn't, and then you compare the placebo group and then the group that got the vaccine. I, I think, I mean, the the one silver lining, which is kind of not great but also good at the same time, it was beneficial that there were so many infections in the U.S. because then they were able to get the phase three results very quickly. Because there's so much virus in the U.S. Like, mm. w- 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 it's really strange because it's one of those, like, where are they testing all of these vaccines? They're testing it in Brazil and in the U.S. Because those are the two places that are, like, the biggest hotspots. <laughs> so, which is good and bad, bad. I mean, they're literally sacrificing people's lives to mm. have a vaccine. But everyone mm. else is benefiting from it. Yeah, I remember this year watching all those cases tick up. And it was a big deal when the U.S. hit like a million cases. And now what are they, like 5 million or something? It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But uh, going back to uh, mRNA. So mRNA is the first uh, technology that's now approved for uh, the COVID vaccine. So mRNA technology actually has been worked on for over a decade now. And it's uh, so I while it's. Uh, new in terms of uh, a vaccine. The technology has been around for almost a decade and uh, you, you can even like go back to like TED Talks to back in the early 2000s and there are people talking about using mRNA and it, I think what's interesting is because of COVID this has really pushed the technology to the forefront of people's minds and also since it's been approved for a use I think we're going to see more of this technology, uh, not only for vaccines, but I think of all the other um, uh, diseases that can um, impact human life. So cancer, heart disease. And it's really interesting because um, a year ago, before COVID, uh, there were articles um, uh, that were being published about how they're doing trials with mRNA uh vaccines for cancer. And so there's this uh, individual who had uh, melanoma. And 
it was visible. Like you can, I think he got it on his leg, so you, you could see you could see the cancer literally growing. Uh, and they created a uh, mRNA cancer vaccine for him and injected him, and he could see over time the cancer shrinking and getting smaller over time, all without chemotherapy. Like, it, it, wow! I, th- I think this is this is really <clears throat> going to push the technology into the forefront uh, of kind of these new medical advances where. You know, we're going to be able to start treating cancer without having to use radiation, without having to use these uh, um, toxic drugs and with these harmful side effects. Mm-hmm. And we're going to and, you know, they're using these to kind of show how they can use mRNA vaccine or mRNA technologies to stimulate uh, s- uh, cells that have been damaged. Let's say you had a heart disease and you need to repair your heart. You could use the technology to help uh, uh, stimulate regrowth of kind of heart tissue and things like that. And the beauty about mRNA is it doesn't stay in your body forever. mRNA is very unstable by nature, which means your body eventually destroys the mRNA. Um, and so it's very temporary. It uh, can provide you know uh these benefits for not only just vac- vac- uh you know vaccines against uh diseases so uh being able to kind of treat cancer without uh huge side effects i think this is going to really help us in the next few years kind of uh, see some new medical advances because of the technology so that's a good thing about at least covid it's really helped kind of push the technology forward um and Hopefully, we'll see some more uh, medical advances in the next few years. Yeah, that's really cool about the cancer vaccine that um, happened. Because I know that, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. I know that, um, uh, what do you call it? Chemo, um, chemotherapy drugs can sometimes cause cancer in patients. So, like, gets rid of the one cancer, but then causes a secondary cancer to start happening. Yeah, yeah. I learned about that this year. And so not having to put people through that would be really beneficial. Yeah, exactly. And I I think most of us may have or will eventually have our lives impacted by either someone uh, having cancer. And it's uh, it's not great. And when you kind of look at the leading uh, uh, causes of deaths right now, I think it's like heart disease and then cancer is next. So. Uh, but obviously, COVID's number one right now, so which is why we're focusing on that. But uh, yeah, so I think once we tackled COVID, I mean, you know, heart disease, cancer, those are kind of the next uh, uh, next uh, uh, causes of uh, death that we need to kind of focus on if we want to improve human life. Well, you've made me a lot more hopeful for uh, for what can happen in the future with the silver yeah, lining I'm of hopeful. COVID research. I, 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 Exactly. I, I, I'm hopeful. Um, and, and the fact that, uh, like mRNA technologies, uh, because it's, it's, uh, it, so M stands for messenger. It's essentially just a, a RNA molecule that is delivered to your cells to give it instructions for producing protein. Um, it's almost like we're dig- digitizing medicine because you're literally just instead of giving a person uh, antibiotics or anything like that, you're just giving your body, hey, these are the instructions that you need. I'm not going to give you anything else. You you use the instructions to, you know, make whatever you need to help yourself. So um, so it's literally almost like digitizing medicine, which uh, is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like you always come through with the hopeful technology or medical advances because, like, you made me feel better about global warming, and um, when you talked about oh, those uh, not factories, um, what do you call it? Nuclear power plants. Yeah, you made me feel better about that, and now you're making me feel better about cancer. Yeah, so we we have to stay hopeful. <laughs> it will get better. <laughs> so that is really cool, though. Yeah, but now that we're now that we're all happy, let's bring it down a little. Let's, oh no, uh, <laughs> my my story is also super hopeful and uh, happy and okay. positive. If you're a billionaire, oh okay. 
Oh, well. good. I'll be hopeful then. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me just uh, smoke my $100 bill here while yes, you speak. <laughs> yes, it definitely applies to all present in this podcast. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I found myself curious as I was preparing for this, you know, Obviously, uh, the economy is taking quite a hit during the COVID crisis. So I got to wondering, how on earth is it that these billionaires, the the Jeff Bezos of the world, how are they raking in so much money? Are they just managing their companies at a higher level than anyone could have anticipated? Not so much from what I've read. Most of it is actually... The same old story that we saw when the housing bubble burst back in 2008. It's government giving protections to shareholders and bailouts to companies with the hope that it will trickle down and help protect jobs and workers. But it ends up getting spent on stock buybacks and massive dividends instead, which is where most of the profits that these companies are seeing is coming from. I read that the 10 largest apparel brands had 74% of their profits go straight into stock buybacks and massive dividends. And that's all while a million Bangladesh garment workers are either fired or furloughed right now. Now, there are other companies out there, such as Tyson Food, which, you know, they are keeping their business humming along, but that's in spite of worker safety. One in nine workers in the Tyson Food meatpacking industry has COVID-19, and they refuse to do any shutdowns, presumably because meatpacking is essential service. You're providing food to people. I don't know what... And we should note that, um, because people might be like, Tyson, who's Tyson? But, like, there are maybe three, four, five companies that own the entire food industry. So, like, when you go into a grocery store, you see, like, oh, Kellogg's and, oh, look, there's, like, all these different brands. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, you see all these different brands and you think there's so much choice in all of this. But, like, they are all owned by these big conglomerates. So, um, yeah. General Mills, Kellogg's, Unilever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So when we say Tyson processing plants, it includes like probably half of your meat department. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you trace it to the root like you just did, you do find just a few of these mega companies or parent companies that have just branched out to supply all the different niche industries of meat and food products. So, and I'm I wanted to bring up another recent example of a government bailout and what happens with these bailouts. The Paycheck Protection Program, which was about $349 billion, had 243 billion of that snatched up by large corporations. So it's just another instance of your small businesses not being able to take advantage of programs that are marketed or sold to the taxpayer, the voter, as protections for them. They just don't get the benefits from it. It's been a really sad year for small businesses. Like I've taken drives down through the main like downtown core a couple times. And it's like all these little stores that you used to see, they're all boarded up or, you know, moved away or, but most of them have closed down. It's very sad. Yeah. Yeah, because they can't access these um, these subsidies and things because other businesses, like big corporations, are gobbling them up quicker. Yeah, crowded them out for sure. Mm-hmm. And it really leaves the question of where do they turn after that other than just closing their doors and boarding up. I read a story about a, a Toronto makeup artist who had all of her year's appointments canceled within three days of the COVID outbreak. Oh. So what choice does a person have at that point? Mm -hmm. But of course, workers have to do something. We can't all just weather the storm because we don't have our massive nest eggs like the more elite members of our society. So say, to take another anecdote for an example, we have uh, a childcare provider in Arnprior, Ontario, she had to make the decision of reopening during the pandemic to take in extra children, putting her own family at risk. And all this is because of stringent disqualification criteria. This is what I was trying to build into is uh, 
an article by uh, Craig Kilberger. He was talking about how for our uh, aid packages like CERB that are meant to keep people afloat during this time, the disqualification criteria is so stringent that there's up to 800,000 struggling workers in Canada who found themselves excluded from this program. And so you have these situations, these untenable hard choices where people have to take risks as opposed to be able to be protected as they might be under a program more like a basic income program, which uh, is my shameless plug of the day. <laughs> I just quickly looked it up. Uh, looked up um, uh, so one, one of the countries that I think has been doing a really good job at kind of controlling uh, the outbreak is Australia. So Australia in March, I believe, announced that uh, uh, eligible workers would be subsidized uh, uh, $1,500 every two weeks. Hey, it's getting to sound a whole lot like a basic income program at that point. Yeah, it it absolutely is. Because, I mean, so what do you want to do? to control this pandemic. You want to keep people as ho- at home as much as possible. In businesses that are not essential, how are you going to prevent people from going out? Well, you pay them to, <laughs> to not leave because if, if they're not incentivized to leave because they have to you know, essentially make money, that's one way of doing it. Yeah, and I think it's a more streamlined and efficient approach than having these multiple emergency initiatives that come out and have to recrop up every time we see another spike in the virus. I, I don't know, has there been any word on a, a new CERB or is it still just the one that was cut off in uh, September or October, something like that? I think it was just the one that was cut off. So no, no new CERB payment. And all this time I was... Just EI, I think. Yeah. Well, that was, I think, the original intention of CERB was to make sure that employment insurance didn't get overloaded with everybody making claims all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now all this information comes out about how, um, you know, CERB, or I guess CRA employees did not have the proper information to give to uh, people who were calling them, asking them questions and things like that, and now people are owing back tons yeah. and tons of money. I've seen <laughs> God, those stories too of everybody owing their entire amount that they've received through serve back again because they didn't properly meet the meet the uh, qualification criteria. Like there was a there was a student version of serve as well, and some students who applied for the the serve version rather than the student version are now finding that because they did that, they have to pay it all back. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said to be able to communicate during a national crisis with the general public. Yeah. You'd think that, uh, you know, some of the responsibility for the mistakes might be shared rather than all on the, the individual who is receiving the aid, but it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be all on the individual to have gotten the correct information, whether it was provided to them by the, what they assumed were the proper channels or not. But all this got me to thinking, if the time wasn't now for basic income to be put forward for serious consideration, like when is it? Like this is exactly now the- is the now is the perfect time. I mean, this this is exactly the type of situation that you want a UBI to uh, address. I don't know if now is the time though. I feel like the time maybe was like six months ago. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, no, 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 but hear me out, hear me out, because um, I think now people are talking about how much money we just spent on, you know, CERB benefits and things like that, and they're like, oh, we can't spend any more money. So I think, like, telling people we need to spend more money to keep people at home, I I don't think it's going to work. I think six months ago it might have. But surely people can see that it's a thing that we needed. Like, if I were to design a, a scenario to demonstrate to the public why basic income is a good idea, I would make a situation where half the country is unable to go to their work and let them feel the actual burden of not being able to go out and earn the wage that they're used to earning. Surely that must have opened some eyes and not just reflexively looking back at how much they're going to have to pay in taxes to cover all this benefit for these people who they look down on. Mm -hmm these abstract others. 
But it, it's funny you mentioned payment as well, because I read that uh, as of October 4th, the federal government paid about $81.6 billion to 8.9 million CERB recipients, whereas there was a, a July analysis from the, well, the HuffPost. I need to look up where the study was actually from. But this July analysis said that a, a six-month guaranteed basic income would have cost somewhere between $47.5 billion and $98.1, depending on how high you put the phase-out point. When. So you're looking at not just comparable numbers, but significant savings, potentially, through just applying basic income rather than emergency CERB programs. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that's the way that our system is built, is to apply these band-aids of CERB instead of actually remodeling things so that it's more effective. Yeah. But I, I don't know if we could have expected, or yeah, or we could have expected people to reshape uh, how we do things in uh, this year, uh, just given the, uh, the uh, so many unknowns about this pandemic. But I, I think it really at least show us what is possible. I mean, just given the numbers that you uh, stated in terms of how much it actually cost us, um, I mean, it shows us that we're within the realm of possibility of uh, implementing UBI in the future. I like it. Can you always bring the hopeful note to this? Like, I was... <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Did you know Andrew Yang is filing for mayor of New York? What? New York Go City? Yang! <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so as you point. were talking about UBI, I want to, <laughs> I want to know what he was up to. And uh, two days ago, Andrew Yang filed pa- uh, paperwork to run for mayor of New York City. That would be awesome. That would be the most exciting development of when when's the election or when does he have a chance to become mayor? I have no idea. Uh, this, uh, yeah, no idea. But well, I was actually again trying to find. A hopeful note, just like Kenny, but my hopeful note was actually that the NDP surprised me in that uh, they were strongly advocating basic income in the House of Commons. Now, the reason this surprises me is because the NDP has traditional ties to trade unions, very strong ties, and trade unions have always been a little bit dubious on whether they want to support basic income or not. Some, some do. Why? Why would that be? Why would they be dubious? They have several concerns, and they're valid concerns. You know, anytime you have a policy as robust as basic income, if it's implemented improperly, it's going to cause a lot of problems. One of the things they're worried about is it's going to make it harder for uh, for workers and unions to negotiate wage increases with their employers. That would be because the employer can always fall back on and say, well, there's a basic income in the background, and so they can start using that to subsidize their own low-wage programs. Uh, another concern is they feel like it's going to push us even further in the direction of a, a flexible labor market where people only have these these temporary crap jobs. They work every sporadically here and there because, again, you have basic income to fall back on so we can do whatever we want with our employment practices. Isn't that what we want? I thought it's the direction that the labor market is moving anyway. Yeah. And so it seems like they're just swimming against the current, trying to take a stand by denying basic income as a, as a viable course of action. So, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm just outlining the, uh, the lines of reasoning that they have. I'm not yeah. giving a for or against, and I, I understand their concerns, whether I agree with them or not. There's always the, the tax rate increase is, of course, another one that they're going to fall back on because BI is not going to abolish exploitation. And so to pay for BI, you're just going to have to keep on hiking the tax rate. That's a common one. Almost as common as assuming that all workers are just going to exit the workforce, which is something that's been definitively at this point proven false, but still comes up in every discussion. And the last one that I, I know that the trade union is uh, concerned about is a big disinvestment in uh, social work programs that they feel if the government implements a basic income, they're going to start defunding all the other social programs out there, which... But that would, that would be the case, wouldn't it? It could be. I mean, certainly any redundant programs out there would probably meet the acts. But 
because I thought wasn't wasn't the pitch with UBI essentially you you're trying to move or, or uh, reduce the number of uh, these redundant services so that you can pay for UBI give people what they need versus serving these uh, almost like niche niche problems yeah around you know treating the symptoms but you know there are populations out there who probably can't be just given a check and expect expected to manage the money properly this is the the paternalistic outlook on it of course that everybody needs to have their hand held through managing expenses one that i don't necessarily agree with but there's bound to be cases of of people who do need help managing it which is why i think the simplest you know fix to that is just dole out their basic income checks in smaller increments don't give them a month at a time, give them a week at a time, you know, give them enough that they can't create a, a massive financial problem for themselves in the time increments that they receive their checks. But yeah, that's, uh, that's what I know of the, not all, but some trade unions have this stance that prevents them from supporting basic income. But the new Democrat party, which, uh, I tend to lean towards them and the the Green Party have taken a stand for basic income, and I was very delighted to learn that. And no, no one else is talking about UBI? like. Well, this came up because uh, Trudeau himself, when he was asked to share his two cents on uh, basic income, he said that it's not something that they see a path to moving forward on right now. And, you know, he... He deflected it after that and just started talking about the the Canada to Child benefit and how they topped that up to twelve hundred dollars. Very very political answer. Very political <laughs> answer. You know, no path right now. Let's talk about this thing that I I feel my government is doing a good job on. So deflect, deflect. <laughs> it's unfortunate because the Liberals were previously the government most strongly associated with bringing basic income forward, the Ontario Liberals anyways. I remember that was Kathleen Wynne's uh, big selling point, or one of her big selling points was basic income. But it's always been a bit contentious whether the federal government would handle the program anyways, as opposed to passing it off onto the provinces. Because when you think about our existing social welfare system, it's all province-driven. We have Ontario Works, we have ODSP for Ontario, and Different programs in Quebec, different programs in Manitoba, Alberta. What do you think? Should it should it be national? Should it be provincial? I would favor absolutely favor a national program. I mean, if you look at national health care, our most successful social program right now, I think a lot of its longevity and success can be traced back to the fact that it is universal across all the provinces and that it's federally backed as opposed to provinces rising or falling depending on their own investment in the program but i'm open to uh, alternative suggestions as well no I, I, yeah i just don't know which what would be the right path I'm, I'm trying to think like uh practically speaking how to <laughs> how to make it actually work because there are a lot of things that that do work better when you when you shrink it down even you know below provincial down to a munis- municipal level you know each city looks after its own version of basic income could that work i don't know maybe but then you i don't know you get you get provinces where it's like alberta with with kenny i don't think he would institute a very good ubi program yeah you definitely have uh, an increased probability of getting a lot of bad programs out there that uh that could uh, cripple the name of basic income you know, their their basic income programs in name only because, but also, you know, not just looking at uh, the more corrupt side, maybe there's less affluent cities out there, less affluent provinces that if they were forced to supply basic income on their own, they don't have the the economic robustness of an Ontario to supply basic income at a living rate for all their citizens. Yeah, I, I feel like I need to like look up how uh, universal healthcare was actually implemented in Canada. I'd be curious as to understand how they got. Well, that was the old. Uh, you don't remember? That was the the Tommy Douglas story from Saskatchewan. He was uh, an NDP leader, and he spearheaded uh, universal healthcare for Canada. Okay, that's one of the reasons why he's so well loved. 
So we need to replicate this. We need to replicate this. Whether we need a, a provincial leader who who drives forward basic income and then pressures the federal government to take it over as well, or whether the federal government will just uh, find a way on their own to see the the merits of the program and and stop with the stop with the CERB and just get down to yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm just not seeing like this path because I just feel like it goes back to Sherry's point. I mean, like you know. If, Alberta is not going to listen to what <laughs> uh, British Columbia is going <laughs> to do and say. You guys are throwing some shade on Alberta. Isn't wasn't Alberta NDP for a while? Maybe they still are. No, oh they're no, not. they're not still. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they 100% used to, conservative now. Are they back to conservative? Mm-hmm. Jason Kenny is that his name? I know yeah, his last name a- is Kenny. Sorry, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Disgracing the name of Kenny's. <laughs> How dare he? How okay. dare he? <laughs> I'm not crazy with this. Who? Yeah, Rachel Notley. She was NDP, wasn't she? Maybe. I can't remember. That name sounds familiar. I don't remember. But yeah, Jason Kenny. Um, I, he's done a poor job of COVID control. But anyways, that's yeah. the other topic. <laughs> Seems to go hand in hand with conservatives. and. Well, you know what? To be, uh, uh, to be fair, I think Doug Ford has done a decent job. But we must not forget all the crap he did before. Yes, yes. But I think, relatively speaking, <laughs> when you compare him to, like, Jason Kenney. He's he's lacing in yeah. bad things along with general prudence in terms of uh, lockdowns and restriction levels. You know, that part, I think, he's listening to his health minister and it, he's played it out pretty well. But at the same time, he's... He's denying benefits to certain groups, and I I haven't researched this, but I I know that there's a lot of stuff in the background that Doug Ford continues to do that is not as up and up or praiseworthy. It could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Jenny. It could be worse. <laughs> oh, don't jinx us. We have four days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of excited for the alien apocalypse. I mean, living underground, it's not so bad. <laughs> what's the difference today right now yeah i guess we're all living inside now so yeah yeah it wouldn't be too different yeah Mm -hmm. natural transition bring on the Mm -hmm. aliens yeah Mm -hmm. so other than aliens were there any other fun things that have occurred or unusual things that have occurred this year I think that my favorite uh news story this year came during the pandemic um, when people were like searching for good news stories. Um, so there was this news story that came out that was, uh, that mountain goats had invaded a Welsh town. So if you go online and Google it, there's all these pictures of mountain goats just in the middle of the road, like hanging out in social groups and, and like standing on benches eating the bushes and like who needs aliens we've got mountain goats already (laughs) (laughs) but it was really funny because it was one of these things that like will never happen again because um the reason it happened is because people weren't outside like everyone had to stay inside and we were all in lockdown and there were no cars on the streets and things like that and so all these animals just started coming back into the cities (laughs) Come on, boys, the path is clear. It's safe to come out now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so there's all these mountain goat pictures, um, just like of this Welsh town. It was was beautiful. I quite enjoyed that story. I I recall what I just looked it up. Um, Basically, uh, in Toronto, the Toronto police were called, um, a, a woman in Toronto called 911, because she was being trapped in her home by an angry squirrel in a oh, tree. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no. If a squirrel stood its ground to me, I, I think that squirrel's going to win. <laughs> yeah, I necessarily call nine one one, but I might retreat. And uh... <laughs> um, I did come across a really good article. Um, actually, just yesterday. Um, when I was on Facebook thinking about like what good, good things or interesting things have come out of this year. Um, what could I talk about? (laughs) Uh, and so I came across this article on IFL science, 
Um, and the, um, the title of the article is that people are leaving one-star reviews of scented candles seemingly unaware they have COVID. <laughs> and I quite enjoyed reading this article. <laughs> this candle doesn't smell like anything. <laughs> and that's exactly what the reviews are stating. So the, somebody decided to take this deep dive. Um, and one of the lines from the article was that um scented candles are the unexpected victim of the pandemic <laughs> um because somebody like some scientist or you know science-minded person decided to start taking some data off of amazon and um things like that and um so they compared unscented candles to scented candles and they looked at like the reviews and how there's like the data shows there's like a sharp drop in uh the number of stars that people give the the scented candles whereas like the unscented candles remain the same <laughs> um and it's it's really interesting um because um there has been an increase in the number of reviews that stated that the candle had little or no scent to it <laughs> And it's increased in in um, since January. It's increased particularly in October and November when we started seeing the second wave. <laughs> Is it like time to the different massive spikes of the two waves of COVID? Um, I don't think I don't think the person who was looking at this data looked at the spikes. Um, but I'm just thinking like because just of be too like perfect. the spikes we had. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, all these medical professionals are telling us we need, you know, we got to test everyone. Uh, I know, you know, some people are, you know, testing, you know, uh, wastewater to detect, you know, when they have spikes and uh, outbreaks and things like that. When all we need is just scented candle reviews. That's that's yeah. the indicator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's all these people who are going online that are really unhappy with their scented candles saying they want to return them. and. Um, and how they they can't smell the scent, and it's you know it's a defect in the candle, and then and then these other people that are responding saying like somebody tell Karen she's got COVID. <laughs> 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 yeah, so I quite enjoyed this story. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've seen videos of people like they they'll order like Starbucks and they will sip it and like they can't taste anything. They're like wondering what you know what's going on, and then suddenly like realize. Oh no! <laughs> I can't taste it. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, so maybe we all just need to sniff scented candles every day to make sure that we're all feeling okay. I was going to yeah. say, at least the the people in Kenny's example have the self awareness to say, "Oh no!" I'm thinking of the the one who takes the sip of his coffee and says, "Ah, terrible coffee," then goes to work and answers negative to all the symptom questions. I can still yeah. taste everything. I'm fine. And then later that day, writes writes a review for Starbucks saying their coffee is tasteless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, these are people who like just bypass all those questions and are like, it must be the company's fault. So I'm going to write them a negative review. <laughs> yeah. So poor scented candles being the victim of the pandemic. I think this is the funniest story about the pandemic that's come out of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, like, I think probably, I mean, one of the worst things about this virus is not being able to taste. I mean, like, can you imagine yeah. not being able to enjoy what you eat? Yeah. But I have heard stories of people who got the virus who had really bad sense of smell beforehand and then afterwards had a better sense of smell. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I believe Healing those people. properties of COVID-19. Who knew? Yeah. These are just these are just random people on the internet making comments. So who knows if yeah. it's true or not. Mhm. Mm but yeah. But I I want to be able to taste. I I, I love eating. <laughs> Eating's like my favorite hobby. I know. I know. I have a really bad sense of smell though. So I'm like if I I hope I don't. Oh my god. Oh my god. Knock on wood. <laughs> if I get it. <laughs> I hope that it changes my my sense of smell and maybe I could smell things better. That would be awesome. Or, or maybe you'll realize, oh, I'm smelling weird stuff on. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew how good my smell was. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess maybe, maybe. You walk into your, you know, the school that you usually go into. Like, oh my god, these kids! <laughs> they need, a, they need a bath. <laughs> yeah, I'm switching careers. <laughs> Can't handle this. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay, I can see this as a problem. I truly, truly hope I don't get COVID. And I, yeah. Yeah, but that that is such a weird condition that's associated with this whole um, virus that, like, came out kind of as, like, people reporting it at first and then the scientific community, like, caught up with it because it's just such a weird thing to happen when you get a virus. I've actually escaped without any common colds this year, thankfully, because if you get a common cold, you're going to have to... Me too. I, I, yeah, I, I... I haven't had a cold, and it's weird. It's it's just very weird. I got a cold. Well, Um, children, right? No, my wife's coworkers. I guess they came to work with a cold without a COVID test and spread it around the office. They don't wear their masks in the lunchroom, and then they touch things, and then my wife got it, and I got it. So I had to actually take time off work and get a COVID test, even though I knew it's a cold, but like, I'm going to be proper and take the proper precautions and stuff like that, but it sucked. Did it tickle your brain? (laughs) Tickle my brain? Well, there's a lot of workers who... They say oh. they go way up there with the test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have either of you gotten a test yet? No, I not yet. No, okay. but actually, if you can imagine this, uh, my mother, she she works in a health-related uh, field. She has to get COVID tests every single week. I can tell you right now, having taken the COVID test, it's not that bad. I heard so many stories of people saying they felt like their brain was scooped out through the back of their nose. Not the case. No, that is not at all. Maybe what you happens. just had a good tester, and they were gentle and nice with you. Maybe there are bad testers out there who just cram that sucker up and uh, maybe I don't know. See what they find. Like, my eyes teared up a little bit because I have, you know, I just have I'm sensitive in gag reflex and all that kind of stuff and um, whatever. But it just felt like it almost felt like I could feel something at the back of my throat. Like a like a feeling at the back of my throat, but there was something going in through my nose. So like that's all it felt like. It wasn't it wasn't painful. I didn't feel super uncomfortable. Like all these stories made me so afraid it, to it get. It probably a COVID just feels test. weird, right? It just yeah. probably just feels weird. Yeah, you and all these stories normally made me feel, feel this <laughs> scared about getting a COVID test when really it was just like nothing. Well, I'm glad that mm-hmm. you had such a positive experience with it, and it does allay mm-hmm. some of my fears because I also. I've been dreading the idea of if I do catch a cold, I'll have to go for that horrible COVID test and I might yeah. never be the same afterwards. Don't panic. It's not bad at all. That's yeah. good to know. Go so. get COVID tested. If you think you have a cold or anything, if you have any of the symptoms, go get a COVID test. It is not that bad. Yeah. Especially if you're, you can't smell the candles that you yeah. have anymore. <laughs> yeah. When you stop being able to smell the candles and it, it uh, urges you to write a review on Yankee Candles. Stop. Hold off on the one star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've been, yeah, I've, I, like, throughout this whole pandemic, I've been trying, I've heard that, your sense of or your taste of peanut butter goes first. So I've been like keeping peanut butter around the house. <laughs> Whenever really? I'm like, I should taste some peanut butter. <laughs> I need to make sure I don't have COVID. <laughs> I've been eating peanut butter lately too. <laughs> I should just continue. Still tastes like peanut mm-hmm. butter. We're in the green. <laughs> I mean, it's just an excuse for me to eat Reese's peanut butter cups, but whatever. <laughs> now, now I have to go buy some Reese's pieces. <laughs> I listen. This may not have been scientifically the truth. I have no idea if your sense of peanut or your taste of peanut butter goes first, but that's what I heard, and listen, I'm going with it. <laughs> listen, I don't need any scientific study to tell me <laughs> <laughs> that. I, I I believe it. I didn't need much I'm just convincing. Gonna, willing to believe that very quickly. <laughs> I'm willing to believe it. <laughs> I didn't need much convincing, and I think it was like a secondhand story. So like. <laughs> I'm all in on the peanut butter. <laughs> Listen, at least the secondary effects of it is just uh, for my mental health. It's, That's it's right. for my yes. mental health. So. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, something we all need to continue to work, uh, making sure that we're all mentally okay. That's why I definitely appreciate it. And remember, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. I I so appreciate Mm -hmm. you guys putting a positive spin on this podcast. Me ready to bring more doom and gloom. I'm so happy that you two are here to to shine yeah. some light on. So do do we do we agree on? I, I'm I'm rating this year one out of ten. How are you guys rating this year? <laughs> I'm good with the the one out of ten. I'm good with one. Yeah. But actually, you know what? I'm gonna immediately revise that because in light of Kenny's stories about uh, about the new virus technologies that are emerging and the fact that we've uh, had a changeover in presidential leadership down south, I'm gonna go up to one point five out of ten. Ooh. Ooh. I'm giving it the so point generous. five. Giving it the point five. <laughs> I could support your 1.5. I'm with you on the 1.5. Uh, well, on to a better 2021. Oh. <laughs> let's, what can we let's do to forget, not jinx ourselves? <laughs> let's pretend 2020 didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I think this is one we're going to wipe from all of our memories. Yeah. Look, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. It's going to be... It's going to be better. I don't know if it's going to be great next year, but it'll, it'll at least be better. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Nowhere but up to go. It'll be better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Until the aliens come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think we'll sign off. And unless you guys have anything else that you want to share. We're going to come back and do more podcasting. Because I have to see you too. I have to make sure you're alive during the yes. alien takeover. It's true. It's a good wellness mm-hmm. check amid the, all the uh, all the terrors of modern life. I'm glad to see you two again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We went too long so without pod- without a podcast, so we're gonna do it again. Exactly, and mm-hmm. we'll and we'll make sure to say positive things to our new alien overlord. Absolutely. Yes. So. <laughs> Hanging so, kudos. Yeah, we got nothing but good things for you. Exactly. So, thanks for listening and. For signing off so have a great 2021 everyone hopefully Yay! we made it to 2021 i think that's an accomplishment yeah we made it we all made it exactly <laughs> all oh. right see you next time Til next time see ya. bye Three, two, one, clap. Oh, f- not ready. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, Sherry? <laughs> Listen, we're in a pandemic. I can't. Like- <laughs> <laughs>